0: Blessings, and welcome to the Ecclesia Podcast, a show dedicated to bringing insight on worship renewal throughout the entire Christian faith. I am your host, Dr. Kevin Myers, and each week I will be joined by Dr. Jim Hart and other special guests as we enter into discussion on the various topics of Christian worship and how to better worship together as the unified body of Christ. This podcast is sponsored and hosted by the Robert E. Weber Institute for Worship Studies, an institution focused solely on worship education. The mission of IWS is to form servant leaders in Christian worship renewal and education through graduate academic praxis grounded in biblical, historical, theological, cultural, and missiological reflection in community. We hope that you will join us in this mission of worship renewal so that we may all come to a more unified understanding of our triune God and lead others into his rightful worship. All right, we are live. Jim Hart, good to see you, friend. Just get back at this. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I am now a father and it's going to be a month on Sunday and it's crazy. It's a wild ride, but very, very blessed. Kateri Therese, she's doing well. And I've been told by everybody, well, we definitely know she's a Catholic baby. So. (laughs) (laughs) Where'd the
1: name come from?
0: Uh, St. Kateri Tekakwitha. So this Native American saint. Um, it's called the Lily of the Mohawks. She is she she has a wonderful conversion story. I highly encourage people to read about it. Her shrine is in Fonda, New York, beautiful upstate New York. And uh, her burial site is not far from there as well, where the the shrine of the the North American martyrs. And yeah. I think she's yeah, that's where she is. So and then St. Therese, the little flower was right. her middle name. So yeah. just just two amazing women of history that. Have shown the light of Christ and can't can't name your daughter after you know <laughs> just anyone. So
1: yeah, my my new granddaughter who was born in November is Elizabeth Claire named after Saint. Oh, Master, it's beautiful! The, the mother of Saint John the Baptist. Yeah, and then and Saint Claire of Assisi. Uh, the yep. sidekick of uh, Saint Francis. And they're both- she
0: gets I, you know I'm a huge Saint Francis guy. He's my confirmation saint, but Claire gets so missed because of him. <laughs> And she's, she's amazing. Her story is so cool. If you ever get out to a CZ, I mean, just, you can kind of walk both paths, really. You can kind of walk like, and, and really immerse yourself in the life of Francis. But you can also, there's almost like this little world you can walk into of Claire's life, which is really beautiful. So it's, it's good that they kind of have, that they really, really honor them both. But, oh, that's a beautiful name.
1: Well back my my daughter settled on Denton into a den to Assisi, so they, they bought me a San Damiano Cross and brought her back to me. Nice because that's why well, so I have it I have it hanging hey, right here over my, boom, over my yeah. desk. So Damiano cross, of course, is where Sheikh Francis heard the Lord speak to him and say, we Rebuild my church. And of course then he took to it which he took it literally. Well, took it literally. <laughs> and, and so the the reason I keep it here is because it's it's kind of the same message when it when it comes to item lesson. Yeah redoing the church through worship, and that's 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 exactly what we're about doing: is to rebuild or renew the church. Absolutely, the church. and give us some give us an
0: update. What's going on with IWS? I, I saw you know you guys had a good winter and then summer session, and I mean we're coming out of this mixed modality and all this stuff. So yeah. how's IWS faring, Jim? How
1: are you faring? <laughs> well, oh yes, yeah, it's, it's been it's been a very interesting few years, a bit a bit rough in the last, last few years with having to go completely online for two sessions and then slowly beginning to. Continue implement mixed modality So how that's a combination of our our low residency intensive on campus intensive face to face along with having the possibility of students attending classes via online so sure. mostly synchronous in the last two sessions have been mostly synchronous and and a declining number of people who are have to be online but students in areas of Either conflict or or increased infection we have had to stay online. So with Mr. Our most of our students in Hong Kong stayed online. We had some some folks from Ukraine, for example, who had to be online, and now they're they're actually here in the U.S. We and that's the- tough because
0: that as a as an alum, that was one of the things I valued the most about my time at IWS was
1: the experiences of being with people literally from all around the world. So that's right. that's really tough. Right. Right. Philippines, same thing. So the Philippines right now has just we instituted their, uh, their, their two week quarantine because of the outbreak of, of COVID there. Mm-hmm. So we're keeping that. And there's also warfare in Myanmar. So our Burmese students have not been able to travel because of that or some of the other exigencies of Africa and places like that. So it's been great to have to, to allow the students to continue matriculating who, are, who have to be online. But it's also really great to see the students back on campus. Most of the students, you're so talking about 80 to 90% of the students are back. Which is it's which is great. Yeah, so it's so it's been, this past June session was was phenomenal. It was we we have a lot of new staff members, so the students, new staff members were were working like like dogs behind the scenes <laughs> and everything, or like I should say more like ducks because you know how ducks are calling the surface and paddling like yep. crazy underneath. Yeah, that's what we were doing. They're calling the surface, <laughs> and paddling like crazy underneath the water, but it all went very well. We um, we had, a, we, had a, we had a great session.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. Like I said, you know, it's it's tough. You know, over here at Newman at Mizzou, it's been really good to have students back on campus. It's been really nice to do the things that over the last couple of years have been difficult, if not impossible to do. So kind of feeling that sense of released learning how to live with this thing. And even though, you know, it's still here and but you know, being able to have one of the one of the big things we've missed, and it's actually what we're going to talk about, is our communion. Our communion at Mass under both species, being able to have the body and blood distributed again by the community to the community, is an incredible thing. And right. that's that's what we're going to dive into today, talking about this this third pillar of the fourfold order that IWS that Bob Weber so beautifully explained. And this is the the table pillar, right? So communion and what that looks like and how that looks different in many places, but how it's su- there's such a great sense of unity. And unfortunately in other areas, a great sense of disunity. So,
1: yeah. That's what my daughter, Erica said one time, she's a graduate of IWS and we were talking with one of our guest speakers. And she said, you know, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. So Erica, if you listen to this, I'm sorry. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> with it. it was, it's your dad, I Erica. Thought, it's not me. That's right. <laughs> she said, unfortunately, the, the 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 greatest symbol of our unity has also become the icon of our disunity. So mm-hmm. we see both of those coming together in it's the Eucharist. Profound. Yeah, so the potential of unity is the greatest in the Eucharist, and also the 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 icon of our disunity is also the greatest, most visceral, yeah, in the Eucharist.
0: Yeah. So let's start there with with unity, though, Jim. What what about the Eucharist is what like it? In your in your in your background, I mean, and and understanding, you know, when you come to worship, how there's a lot of times where we put a lot of weight on the word, because of course it's the word of God being proclaimed. But then in other backgrounds, the the Eucharist kind of takes that main stage of, well, now we're literally eating the living word of God. We are taking this on and and you know, so where does that unity kind of begin?
1: You know, it is more visceral, isn't it? When you when you actually smell Taste. Yeah. See. Chew. <laughs> on the yeah. On the on the very on the on the symbols or on the reality of the of the body and blood of Christ. So my first experience with with all that being more visceral was when I was in college at Royal Roberts University. We had back then we had communion seven times a week. So Monday through Friday at noon. Had a Friday night yes. service that were two hours and a Sunday night service that were two hours. And our our uh, Chaplain, not then. Doctor Bob Stamps is still a friend, a good friend of mine, and and still a, a mentor of mine. Was the guy who initiated all that. He would say, in in light of Oral Roberts' strong orientation towards having a contact, a faith contact somewhere, he said the Eucharist is the ultimate contact of our things. It's the ultimate tangibility of of the Lord's presence with us in bread and in and in wine. That's where we we have the visceral tangible presence of Christ being manifested to us. And those services, particularly the Friday night was the one I went to, all the people went a lot to Sunday night, but as a musician I had to practice my board. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. Usually not inside I night. feel you, <laughs> But Friday night I used to be there and the, uh, the there was a tangible presence. And it wasn't it it was it was the word preached, but it was also the tangibility of the bread and wine which were the body of blood Christ to us. And Bob Stamps never tried to parse that. He just said, this is what it is. Just experience it." and it. Admittedly, he said he was being a little bit experimental because he, he did the theology that he was trying to communicate. But but because of it being a very broad student body, there there was only so, so much you could theologize on it. But the, the, it was an enacted theology. And we, I never saw so much unity as I, I did in those services. Multiple denominations. Taking yeah. Eucharist together. And it was a, it was a beautiful iPod to me of the unity of, of, of the body of Christ. That was my, best I mean, it's start- in college.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it starts from the very beginning of, I mean, obviously of Christian worship. I mean, the Last Supper, of course. But, but after, after the death of Christ, I mean, I always love going back to the first apology of St. Justin, of Justin, of the martyr, and reading in his chapter 67 about the weekly worship of Christians and, you know, just how concise it is. But if you read it now, you could put yourself in basically any modern Christian church and be like, this is, we do some semblance of this. You know, it says, I'll just read a little bit of it here. He says, Then we all rise together and pray. And as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought. And the president, in like manner, offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability. And the people assent, saying, Amen. There is a distribution to each. And a participation of that over which thanks has been given, and to those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacon, so we even have you know ministry to the sick is happening, and all of this you know in in the earliest annals of church history this this giant prayer of thanksgiving, and I kind of want to start there of you know when we're when we're worshipping together, we are our most unified our most unified, and so when we are sharing in this thanksgiving together, you know we can really come to understand that more. I think we talked about this on our last podcast on ecumenism of, Mm -hmm. you know, when we're sharing the table together and Oh, Bob Weber has always used that the analogy of a, of a dinner, you know, of of, of like for hospitality and such, but this idea of when we come to the table of the Lord, that we are participating in a great communion with those around us and the saints in heaven, all those who have come before us. And that it's this great gathering of the entire earthly and heavenly realm. And, and nothing can be more unified than that. And so this idea that, that we're sharing the table with, our, with the body of our brothers and sisters that are around us is one thing. And when we talk about this pandemic, that's one of the things that we've missed the most of, I can't be in the body. How I can't experience this unifying act, this great thing that was given to us at the Last Supper with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm being kept from that. And I think that was a great burden to a lot of people. Um, there was. But yeah, well, where do you take it from there? From like from the time of of Justin and, and all of these things that really bring us to that prayer of Thanksgiving and that meal that we share.
1: Yeah, I was also kind of struck when you said when you mentioned Justin that uh, Saint Cyril of mm-hmm. Jerusalem did the mystical justice perspective. Right. So yeah, he he said he he made some some important theological comments on the on what happened what's happening there in the Eucharist. And we've kind of ignored those. I'm talking about someone somebody who was around the same time it was, was commenting on on what's going on at the Eucharist. And, and, and he he, he says some things that really are challenging to those of a more rationalistic, modernistic kind of perspective towards the Eucharist. Because he said he said there very specifically what the words are said over oh, the bread and wine, they're no longer bread and wine, they're, they're now body and blood of Christ. And it's not of mystico, I'm saying Cyril Drivo. Uh go read it <laughs> it's, it's very specific, so what do you do with that? you know so it's it, it goes against the rational line and so on so it, it it goes against our our Cartesian understanding of what's of what's like readily observant right. or scientifically observed. but it 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 takes you into the role of mystery and I think we we need to we need to embrace mystery fully in order to to begin to move towards unity of understanding what what was happening in the Eucharist so it's not I mean, people for two thousand years have tried to explain it, and yeah. and some have done very very well, and some have not done so well to explain it. But any time to rationalize something that is that is that is mysterious and yet truthful at the same time, right. is always always challenging.
0: It's something that we've been told, and it's something that you know we were given from the words of Christ. But at the same time, when we're not experiencing it in the exact same way that they experienced it. There is that greater heightened mystery and that that heightened question. You know, you, you wonder. I think the biggest question I get from especially students at Mizzou that are maybe coming back to the church or mm-hmm. that are starting back up again or are just completely new is how do I get over this confusion of reality and divinity and all of this? And how do I? How do I kind of compartmentalize when I said, well, don't do that. Don't compartmentalize, you know, understand that it's all one big, beautiful reality from Christ and, and what that looks like. But the Eucharist is always the thing that serves as their biggest source of confusion. But then when kind of the light bulb goes on in some sense for them, it becomes their greatest sense of comfort of why they are a Christ follower, you know, because, because the Bible for them, and again, I'm just speaking of the students I've talked to, but the Bible for them. You know, is still absolutely that great source of comfort because it's a more literal thing where we're reading the actual words of Jesus Christ in those moments when they come to understand that they're receiving the living word of God in a tangible way. There's something different there. And I know, and this kind of, you know, will come into our discussion on the disunity amongst all Christians when it comes to the Eucharist. But one of the things in the Catholic tradition that we do that gets a lot of pushback is eucharistic adoration you know something that see is so mysterious you know now we're just sitting in the presence of it we're not taking it in but we're sitting in the presence of this host that we're saying is truly the body of christ you know and there are all these things that go into that so every time i'm you know asked about that and kind of discuss you know why is why do we look at it a certain way you know it's difficult it's really difficult to explain. Because of that mystery.
1: It is. So uh, I go back to Augustine who said, see comprehend this nor is deus. Yeah. If you understand it, it's not God. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> In other words, yeah. They don't mean don't try to seek to understand it. You should seek to try to understand. Yeah. It. But if you never think you've arrived at the complete the complete understanding. Nope, that's not it. Probably have not. <laughs> Probably have not, because there's so much more to it than that. So yeah, that sense of mystery is, that's, that's critical. That's critical. And yet, also, believing in the words of Jesus. So we believe in the words of Jesus in the gospel, right? When we, right. When we hear a priest, we believe that that that, uh, that Jesus is speaking to us through the word of God. Well, do we believe it when he said, this is my body? I yeah. didn't say this represents my body. He said, This is my body. Or when he says, This is my blood. He says, right. This represents my this is, is a mere a mere symbol of my body or blood. He said, This is my body and blood. So what do you do with that? Well, it's yeah. it's, it's it's a it's a it's a brain tilt, right? <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't understand that. And then when he was challenged with that, he intensified, unless you eat of my of my flesh and drink of my <laughs> blood, you'll lay really a place with me. Yeah. So that this is all John chapter six, by the way. So there's there's that intensification, right, of of his of what he's saying. So you take Jesus as were, there's something there that we need to try to participate in. Although I, I don't know ever understand it completely. So I think we're here to participate in it. And yeah, and and do it with with some kind of a, a version of mystery that goes with it.
0: So what what are some thoughts? So so Jim, it's you know, I love your background and and kind of the the different camps you found yourself in through your life your spiritual journey and and where that's brought you to um and you know how we're constantly growing i mean spiritually but also in in our world the academic and the spiritual kind of meld together and so it's this great like we're trying to understand what we can't possibly understand that's right um, but from someone of your background how do you see us getting to a place of of closer unity in this Eucharist of of this time where, you know, it's not Catholic or Protestant, it's not Greek Orthodox, it's not, it's we're all celebrating the same tape.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Let me me start with when. (laughs) Sure, (laughs) sure, whenever I see it happening, I don't see it happening in my lifetime. I think it's that there are too many moving parts of that conversation that need to happen. But how, (laughs) the only way I see how is for us to have high-level prayerful ecumenical conversation. So we're not, I'm talking, I'm not, when I think high level, I'm not talking about people of authority or people of great theological knowledge. I'm talking about, let's talk about what's keeping us apart right now. Right. What's keeping us apart? What about real presence, for example, is keeping some some of those, from more evangelical perspective, away from those who would embrace real presence? How can we get to a place of understanding? I and I, I saw it happen. And of so the documentation from, from Vatican II that they're trying to work out and actually there's an, a, a Lutheran Catholic dialogue, which is, which was instigated by Catholic II, not, not necessarily part of Catholic, I but those conversations, the one particular, one justification, I faith. Yes. It's a, it's a beautiful dialogue where they. And it's talk, in the catechism. Okay, good. So they talking yeah. about what areas do we agree on now? Yeah. And we found agreement. What areas do we still disagree on? And how right, will we begin to work for those areas of agreement? That kind of an outcome, when it comes to this, this again, this primary issue of the Eucharist, that kind of an outcome will serve us well into the future. But we've got to begin the conversations about how we come to some understandings and some uh, agreement on certain areas. And we just one step at a time, how we what 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 can we agree on? Uh, right. This, this even goes into as we were talking earlier off yeah off camera off like, yeah <laughs> about, about the, the disagreements between the neo-Thomists and the social model theologians, uh, particularly De Lubac and and Ratzinger and some others, where they were advocating for. Let me go back. The neo-Thomists tend to to be only reality oriented when it came to the Eucharist. So nothing I mean, there's nothing but reality, and that's still around. Of course, that that perspective is still around. But they dismissed symbol. But they were over. They were overreacting to those and said it's nothing but symbol. But symbol, yeah. But but they it, it, it overreacted. they threw away symbol. And said no, it's nothing but reality. Well, the fact <laughs> is, oh, symbol right. and reality, right? Because symbol just means you cast together. You cast together that which is material and that which is that which is, is 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 real. They're cast together, or real and spiritual in a, in a spiritual way. They're cast together. It's the opposite of. Diabole, which means to cast apart. Yep. well these things are cast together. So that is the Eucharist a symbol? Yeah, it's a symbol. That's also reality, right? So how? Yeah, do get and, to that point of vigor?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so again, uh, another benefit of of IWS is the perspectives and and the di- the differences um, of the people that you meet culturally, but also theologically, some of the things and how we've all been raised and what we've been taught and all that. And I know that the first time during communion at IWS that I didn't personally go up to receive, I had to answer some questions. And I was totally cool with that because I knew I would have to. And I thought, you know, I actually welcomed it because I didn't want it to look as though I'm sitting there and going, Ugh, your communion is not my communion. <laughs> that's not what it is at all. It's more oh, of a... How are we seeing this reality? And if I'm not seeing the reality in the same way, then it would affect my conscience to, to take, uh, I'll put it this way. So Father Ed, who I work for in Denver, absolutely brilliant man. Every time we would have a, a funeral mass, uh, a lot of times we have a lot of non-Catholics in the families or, or whatever, or even lapsed Catholics that haven't been there for a while. Uh, the running joke is we can always tell at the point where they go, the Lord be with you. And when we hear, and also with you, we go, Okay, it's been 10 years since you've been there, um, <laughs> since we changed the language a little bit. But right. um, but what he would do at communion is instead of just saying, you know, if you're not Catholic, don't come up and receive, which a lot of priests do. And I think that adds such a negativity in, yeah. in this idea of closed communion, which I, I hate that term so much. Yes. Um, so do I. And rather, what he would say is, I want you to go into your houses of worship wherever you are and pray for the decedent and and pray for them and join in your communions and your communities that we can have a unification of prayer. And he would, and he would say, you know, I wouldn't want you to come up and receive something that you fully don't believe in the way that we are believing that we're, that we're professing. And I was like, that's so beautiful. You're looking after the person's conscience and you're looking after the person where they are. And we're not saying we're right. You're wrong. What we're saying is this is what we profess to believe. If that is not something that you fully get to then we don't want to violate your conscience in this, in this moment. And I thought, man, that shifted it for me, honestly, because I'm sure, you know, you either you grew up or friends that you grew up with that were saying, you know, that Catholic communion is not our communion. And there's plenty that I still am around that are like that Protestant communion is not our communion. And it's this huge cut, you know, nowhere else in I've, I've, I've not run into this anywhere else. And I need to stress that because I think so many times, you know, I, I get fed up with the idea of, you know, people saying Catholic Protestant and, and label and label and label and be so heavy on these labels. And I go, if you would know that the one major division is just this, I mean, not saying justice is that it's not like a big deal, but that we are together in almost everything. And that we are right there. And that I try so hard, at least with my students, to to break down that wall of Catholic and Protestant and go, we are Christians trying to get it right. We are trying to become unified. We're trying, you know, Christ says at the end, my want for this world is that they are all one, one in me. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're working on. And the only way to work on that, and you said it so well earlier, is to have the difficult conversation. To be able to say, I'm wrong to be able to say, you know, I haven't listened to you or you haven't listened to me and that both sides need to get on the same page and that it's not the Catholics are right and the Protestants are wrong or vice versa. It's that's right. what is, what is Christ telling us to do? What is yeah. he telling us? He's telling us, eat my body, drink my blood so that you may have life in me and that I may live in you. Right. And he's saying to us to do this as a community so that we may have a greater unity
1: together. That's yeah, where we'll start. Think. I've also got a pragmatic position on this as well. So when I look at what we're doing here at of the US with our with our convocational Eucharist and with our closing yeah. Eucharist all we done as a practical for the 704 class, and what I experienced also at Royal Roberts University was pragmatic for the point was we experienced first before we understood. Absolutely. And I think there's value and virtue in that, and experience yeah. first before you really understand what you're doing. So yep. they the, some of the greatest stories I hear from my friends in in churches that, that, that do not at all hold a sacramental view of the Eucharist, and yet they find themselves changed through the experience. So what's happening? we right. have God's at work. God's so quick. All right. And it's, it's, we can theologize on, it, on either side, but the fact is God's at work doing something through that, that great symbol that, and then that it's not just a symbol, but there's something right. real that God's doing, manifesting Himself in that. So I mean, given some, some of the most visceral experiences I had with God's presence were and in, in the Eucharist when I was a, a student at, at Old Rovers. So there's to experience that first, and then to seek understanding of the experience could be at least one other way forward to that.
0: Yeah, and you know, and I also want to point out that even in the moment where. I would sit and not go up during like the convocational worship. I never once felt that I wasn't in communion with the rest of the body of Christ that was there. And right. I think one, that says a lot about the people at IWS. That says a lot about the people that are there that are understanding that we're all coming at this at, from different angles. Um right. But we're, we're trying, we're trying to get, I, I like that you said, you know, we're seeking understanding and that, that's kind of the life of a Christian. John Calvin on his, I think it's on Christian Living, I think it's what it's called, where he talks about, you know, and all, my, all my Catholic friends are going to hear me say Calvin and be like, <laughs> but hey, he said some good stuff, guys. He, this idea of the Christian life is one, of course, as St. Paul says, that is hard, but also one that it never ends. It's not something that you just... Are a part of, and you kind of ride out that wave, and then, That's right. Well maybe I'm lucky and Jesus will come back during my lifetime. No, it's a constant moving forward and seeking more. And, you know, The Chosen has done a great job with their, in their branding, they say, come and see. That's kind of the, mm-hmm. whole, the whole thing about yeah. the show, but also, you know, the biblical narratives in which it's based on of come and see. You can't, you can't, it's harder to come at it from another way if you're not coming to see or, like you said, coming to experience it.
1: So, for Calvin, you know, the, 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 the pinnacle of his worship experience was, was Eucharist. But you're right. He, he, looked, he looked at more of a full life Eucharist. So, a, a Eucharist of virtue almost that was, that was, it's actually beautiful. So, his perspective of that were outstanding. Luther, yes, never wanted to give up daily communion. He, he yeah. always desired. God's presence at the Eucharist. Again, the followers of Luther and Calvin may have gotten a little more radical than, than they were, but they but they were both committed to to the beauty and the mystery of the Eucharist in different ways. They, they had slightly different theologies of, of that, but there there was there was virtue in, in both of them in terms of their, their own theologies of what they were trying to experience. And both of them held, held that up very highly in terms of the, life, the Christian life. So now we go about living our lives in Christ.
0: Right. So if the discussion begins there, get, give some tips, if you have them, Jim, on how can we make this dialogue both, because it's such a necessary thing and it can absolutely ruffle all the feathers. We know this. It can, it can since we, as, as your daughter said, it serves as such a great icon of our disunity. Right. How do we have the conversation and make it real, make it impactful, mm-hmm. but also do it as Christians and not looking at each other as different Christians, but looking at each other as Christians. You know what I mean? Not separating us, not going, okay, Catholics sit at this table, Protestants over here. No, let's have a <laughs> d- debate over this. No. How can we have an actual dialogue as the unified body of Christ?
1: Right. So, as I mentioned to you earlier, I've been reading this book, on Resolving Conflict, by Ann Garita, who's a professor at the Catholic school at the Augusta Institute. But she's also involved with the, with the Harvard Initiative on, on Conflict Resolution. And that's not what it's called. It's something like that. Sure. Her, but it's a brilliant book. And she starts in her conflict resolution perspective of, of starting with perceived truth, not ontological truth. So, let's start with what we're perceiving for one another. Well, the conversations have to start with deep listening to what the concerns are of one another when we're going through these kinds of conflicts. And we, we start off by listening. We don't lose our voice. It's important that we keep our voice in the conflict. And this as also important that we understand the emotional content of those conversations and how we deal yeah. about dealing with the emotional content. But we start with, with with how we perceive one another and how we see one another as as <laughs> As she was with dignity and with reason, and we we're not coming stupidly to the conversation, they're coming right. with a great deal of background and, and uh, forethought. And yeah. so, then finding the areas of conflict, and they're talking with and praying, you know, we're perfectly talking with real listening and love for one another. That's the only way of doing it. It's not putting people into camps and putting people into classifications of, of you're a Christian, you're not for Christian because you don't do this or that or the other. It's it's giving complete recognition to the dignity of, of one another in that conversation. And seeing where we can find commonalities, you know, understanding of Scripture, understanding of the world, understanding of how God created everything from nothing and what that has to do with sacramentality, all those kinds of things.
0: Well, and I mean, when you talk about trying to understand sacramentality together, we can look to our baptism, you know, th- for the same reasons that. Anytime someone comes into our church office and, you know, either, either wants to learn more about the Catholic faith, we can say, you know, have you been baptized? Oh, yeah, I was baptized in this little Baptist church. Great. That is a valid baptism. Or, you know, and how, the, how our baptism in, in the Trinitarian formula stems all denominational bound. Um, yeah. And that it's this beautiful, that, that I think can be our greatest example of understanding a
1: unified sacramentality. I even go prior to that. Okay, lot. Well, so I, I uh, when I taught segmentality at Asbury Seminary, we we started with that the churches always accepted two sacraments, what are they? And the students would sometimes say baptism and <laughs> communion. no, no, there are, there are some there are some that don't accept that. Uh, it's Christ and the sacrament of the Father, or the fullness of His refulgers, as says the of Hebrews. Are. So, so it's, it's Christ and the sacrament of the Father, the visible, tangible manifestation, the incarnation. An incarnation of God in the world, and that the church is the ongoing incarnation of Christ. If you accept those two things as, as sacraments, and by the way, the way there's a third, based on Genesis 1 1, that God created the whole world from nothing, nothing creates the whole world from nothing, that everything that exists has God's DNA in it because He created it, whether it's man made or naturally occurring, whether it's animal, or mineral, or vegetable, whatever it might be. Everything, even time and space themselves, everything are created by God. Therefore, everything contains God's DNA and will find its, its ultimate trajectory, ultimate telos, or telos, in God, in union with God. And of all the entire created order, where the order was made in his image, and therefore, we right. have the right to say no to God, that we don't want to be in union with God. Right. And worship is about turning our no into a yes. Right. That's the basis of why we worship God. And so, so we don't say no any longer when we say yes. So you start with those foundations of sacramentality and, 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 and what your will and how your will is involved with worship. And then you move into the conversation of how is that manifested in terms of the sacraments that we have within the church, baptism, Eucharist, all, all yeah, so, the, all the Yeah, that's,
0: yeah, that's excellent stuff. So I, I guess the kind of one of the last questions i want to ask then is ideas of renewal. You know, we're getting to this place of, we're going to have to have the conversation, but within that, what is the renewal that's going to need to take place?
1: That's yeah, a good question, so for renewal, I think we have to have to start somewhere. We have to start the conversations we have to start the conversations between Protestants and Catholics and orthodox right. definitely, and we, have, we have, and we have to start valuing the practices of the, of the of the of the of the Eucharist. We have to start valuing that that regular practice, so the churches that have relegated. Eucharist to once a quarter, or once a year, or once a month. Then think about doing more often, and and seeing what if there's an experience there that you can put your finger on it that will make that make God's presence more tangible and efficacious in your life. Efficacious as far as virtue or mission. See if there's a change. See if something happens. I think anytime we revoke the The name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, there is the possibility that we're going to become different than we've been before we invoke the name of Jesus Christ. So anything yeah. we can do to put our finger on that and making God more real to us through the manifestation of Jesus by the Holy Spirit has the potential of changing us all from the inside out.
0: Yeah, and that that's a great point. And. I remember a conversation I had with a friend of mine. He grew up in in a mainline Protestant background. And I remember we got kind of down to like the bare bones of this discussion of just yeah. we the one thing that we could both agree on is well God could make anything happen. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it seems right. like such a simple thing to say, but it's so true. This idea that if God can create an entire universe from nothing. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure he can one help us come to understand more of what he's trying to show us, but also help us to see the dignity and the beauty in, in everybody
1: and in what everybody's trying to bring to the table. Absolutely, literally, <laughs> I would, I would, add one comment. said, God can do anything within His character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to of course, course, uh you have you have the danger of volatilism by saying God can do anything. He wants if he wants two plus two to equal five, he can't. No, he's not <laughs> uh, but I don't think God forgive me if i my wrong, but I'll do anything from that. But you're right. Anytime we invoke his name, invoke his process he's gonna he's gonna be there. And so why not why not try? I mean I'm, I'm we leading worship here on an early service at Heberts Avenue Baptist where our offices are. And this is, this is great, a great host church for us. And we're doing a early morning service here. So it's part of an internship with our, with our student from Ukraine. And we're starting in September we're going to be doing a weekly Eucharist with that. That's awesome. This, this is a Baptist church. And most Baptist churches don't do with There are probably some that do. But yeah. Most don't. But we're going to be doing a weekly Eucharist here. And our hope, our prayer is that people have the, the opportunity to experience God's presence in a new and different way in their lives. But, That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful.
0: Yeah, and I mean, because again, you know, we keep saying the the word Eucharist, but the other interchangeable word that, you know, people use for that sacrament is communion. And I think one of the, because, I mean, it is this idea of coming to a greater communion with one another to be able to to truly have that experience. I think I think you can speak to it, too, that Receiving the Eucharist is not an individualistic thing. Um, yeah, it's not, you know, right. while we're experiencing it on our own, we're experiencing it with the greater body. And
1: yeah, that's, that's what really communion. makes yeah. the experience. Yeah, That's right. That's right. So there are a number of different ways of referring to it. Eucharist, of course, means a right. thank you to God, right? Right. Communion is what we do with one another, where we're together right. in the presence of God and, with, and the manifestations of his body or blood. Also, uh, there, are other, there are other terms that are used, and ca- Kevin Irwin has a whole book on this whole models of the Eucharist. I'll, I'll mention a few of them. He calls the Eucharist the effective word of God. So there's a word of God mm. put to, put, like, like putting legs in the word of God, but Right. Making it right, intangible. He calls it the memorial of the Paschal Mystery. Another great way of saying it. A covenant renewal feast. All right. Re- this goes back to the, in many ways, the, 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 the Paschal understanding of passion and come to renewal the Lord's Supper yep it's a great way of saying it another one that is is an interesting one that we have to be doing a whole different podcast is food for the journey <laughs> <laughs> I, I mentioned this in my presentation I love that one my, my opening it comments to people when they were to gather together I, I think uh, I think they're together with us and we can partake of the source for the journey and so they're thinking of course of food for the next week yes um, <laughs> but by Anatom, it's food for the journey, it's food for our final journey to uh, right. into, into the presence of the Lord. So that's all part of the same thing. And the last thing, this is one that could be, again, the whole of the podcast, uh, but it's, it's the idea of there being, being a, a sacrifice, what we do. Now, I know that there are some Protestant sensibilities against that, but in reality, all worship is sacrificed. All of it. Right. We're not sacrificing to God, to God that's near sacrifice. We're sacrificing. where are we presenting the sacrifice of Christ? We're re it, living it, and re-participating it so that we can bring our sacrifices of our lives, of all that we do, all that we have, including our treasures, to the Lord and give them back to Him again. Because we, 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 are, we are selfish creatures who tell us to take those things back during the week, you know? Give them back to God every every Sunday, so we we're sacrificing ourselves uh,
0: to. I'll give him a shout out, Father Dan, our pastor at the Newman Center. He's the first priest and only that I've worked with that during Mass, right before we come to Communion, he will extend to the to the faithful of, please place all your prayers, needs on the gifts of this altar, so that we may unite them all to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in this great Sabbath. Absolutely, and that's that's what it is. That's
1: just yeah. what it is. Yep, and my, my mentor, Bob is saying, Break your enemies. He would yeah. say he would say when you when they put the bread in your hand, see the face of your enemy in that bread. <laughs> then that, that's all awesome. loves that person as much as he loves you. Yep. Him, yep. I love that. I've never forgotten that. And so i am talking for community one time. Bob put his arm, he was standing behind me, put his arm around me, he said, he calls me Jimmy. He said, Jimmy, don't forget to put your enemy in the bread. <laughs> 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 i love that
0: i love yeah. that and that i mean that's because that's beautiful i mean especially with you know how much we take how much we bring our baggage to the lord but yeah. are we are we actually letting go of the baggage yeah, or are we let's... just bringing it complaining
1: about it from <laughs> the church and then taking it home
0: with us like what are we yeah. doing with it
1: it's yeah, I have a big to... deal I have some friends who said exactly. I told them, he are you complaining or you actually would have want to fix your
0: problem? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm looking for this baggage to be uh, taken away.
1: Right, right. I'm looking
0: to lose it on the carousel at the airport.
1: That's right. Um,
0: (laughs) But, oh, no, Jim, this was beautiful. A really great discussion of just kind of what, you know, where we are as a people, as a Christian people, when it comes to this and kind of how it sits as, you know, for some it's the source and summit of, of what we do in worship for others. It's something that they want more and others, they haven't been able to experience it yet. So I think we bring it back to what you said so profoundly of, you know, get that experience. You know, if you haven't had that experience or if you haven't had the idea or ability, try to experience it in whatever context you're in, try to experience holding that, that host and drinking that blood. And
1: and, yeah. Yeah. Lean into the mystery, lean yeah. into the mystery. Don't, don't run from it. Lean into it.
0: Beautiful. Love that. Well, thank you, Jim. Thank you. Thank We're going to hopefully get another one out pretty soon on the, the fourth pillar, the sending, which you and I have talked about many times, <laughs> especially with my contact, <laughs> robust, robust exactly. sending. Exactly. Uh, that'll be yeah. fun to dive into yeah. On, yeah. on what that looks like. In fact, I'll say this before we go. I always, I, to this day, will say to people, Man, when I went to IWS and we kind of saw that more Episcopal and slash Anglican version yeah, of the right. sending and how the charge is at the end. Right, like, right. man,
1: I want that in the Catholic Church
0: so bad. I <laughs> like, kind of... love
1: this so much. And they're yeah. like, oh, that does sound kind of cool. But So uh, I'll uh, give you a little precursor to that. De Lubach, I'll read De Lubac, the, great, the great Catholic. Yeah. Pastor, said, the two most holy moments of the Mass are these. Most holy is the words of consecration. The second one is Eat Misa Est. Go, you are. so get out, get out. <laughs> get out. <laughs> <laughs> it is that's a literal thing. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah.
0: beautiful. Well, thank you, Jim, and we will we'll get back at it soon. And thanks, everybody, for listening.